Say goodbye to performance robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. That's why Huggies is the number one best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit and 12-hour protection against leaks. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. There are a few things in this world more unsettling than a knock at your door, late at night, alone in a quiet house, with only the shadows for company. You know the kind. That low, soft, knock, knock, knock. You can try to ignore it. Good luck with that. Or you can grab a baseball bat, double lock the door, and hide under your bed. Or, I suppose, you could just open it and see. In any case, Whatever your course of action, it doesn't change what that knock means. That there's something outside. Something that wants to come in. Of course, there are times when it's just a roommate who forgot his keys. Or a rogue tree branch smacking against your window pane. A classic. But if it's anything like this particular story from my grandma, sometimes it's not. If night has fallen and you're driving down a certain road in suburban Detroit late at night and you hear knocking, chances are that knocking is straight from the knuckles of a little dead girl. Knock, knock, knock. We have a lot of extended family in Detroit, so Grandma knew a few things about what goes bump in the night up there. And whenever I was on a rotten streak sneaking cookies out of the jar before dinner and all that, she'd issue a warning. You do something bad, even if you get away with it. It isn't just forgotten. You still did that something bad. That's what counts. And then, to illustrate her point, she'd recount a tale straight out of Motor City. The tale of the little girl on Knock Knock Road. As the story goes, a young girl, maybe eight years old or so, was riding her bike home one night through the suburbs when a car came speeding out of nowhere. And well, the poor young thing didn't make it. Judging by her state, the driver sure must have known it was bad, but they didn't stop to see for themselves. Didn't get out to help, no. They took off like a bat out of hell. So a little girl was laid to rest, leaving a grieving family behind, and her killer, they just got away with it, right? Obviously, that's not the end of the story, not for the driver or for that little girl, because folks say she still stalks the road she died on, stopping cars and knock, knock, knocking on their windows. Searching for her killer, what'd she do if she found them? Who knows? But I'm guessing she's not handing out hugs. 
Now, as for me, I got older, stopped stealing cookies, and without my grandma's warnings, I all but forgot about Knock Knock Road. That is, until I attended a family reunion up in Detroit, not long after grandma had passed. It was a nice backyard barbecue at my aunt's place. Some cornhole, plenty of burgers, and kids running around. Everyone was in a good mood. That is, until I told my aunt where I was staying that night. There I was, saying my goodbyes, telling her about the adorable little rental I'd booked, when her face suddenly dropped. Careful getting back, she warned. That's mighty close to Knock Knock Road. I immediately took my coat off and sat right back down. That was all the prompting my aunt needed, because in my family, I love languages telling stories till our throats go dry. So she was already launching into the tale as my cousins and nieces and whatnot gathered around to listen. And for the most part, Auntie's story lined up with what my grandma told me as a boy. Little girl, killed by a rogue driver, haunts a deserted slab of road in the Detroit suburbs, terrifies anyone that sees her while she hunts her murderer. But my aunt knew something that grandma didn't, or rather, someone. Someone who'd actually seen that girl, who'd heard her knock. And what he told my aunt, well, it completely eclipsed any fear I'd felt listening to grandma's version. See, the girl's fate was horrible and tragic, yes, but her revenge proved that there are things far, far worse than death. You're listening to Run, Fool. I'm Rodney Barnes, and this is episode six, The Little Girl on Knock Knock Road. Let me start by saying that Detroit has had its fair share of woes. The city, once the bell of the ball, with its innovative auto boom and chart-topping Motown hits, has shrunk in population from millions to just thousands. There's a lot more to say about that story, of course, but for hours, it means that this particular metropolis has nooks and crannies that other big cities simply don't. It's been left with more than a few stretches of urban road, peppered with abandoned homes, places people used to live and thrive, now just ghostly reminders of a better time. It was in one of those dark pockets of the city that my aunt's friend Roger was driving one Friday night, and Roger had some things on his mind. First of all, he was concentrating on the road, Roger being a responsible driver and all. He was also regretting that pie he'd had at dinner, one dish too many, but he was also regretting the thing he didn't do at dinner, the thing he didn't say, which was why, despite his wife Sarah's protests, he was at that moment taking the long way home. Because he was gathering the courage to make the confession he'd been avoiding all night, he'd been fired that morning. Considering the less-than-scenic route he was taking, Sarah knew something was up but she was blissfully unaware of how big a wrecking ball was about to hit her. Truth be told, Sarah never seemed to worry that anything bad would happen to her. She was confident that way, optimistic, always certain in her decisions. And why not? To Roger, it always seemed like she made the right decisions, which was why his confession was extra difficult. It was more than just the job loss, you see. Roger, well, killed a man, but it's not what you think. Raj was a nurse, and a few days earlier, he'd accidentally given the wrong dose of meds to a patient. The man went into cardiac arrest and died. The hospital had no idea Roger had shit to do with it, since this patient was a very sick man, a very sick man with a very weak heart. 
Maybe a heart attack was coming for him anyway, but not that day. It wasn't that man's day to die. Only Roger knew that, though, so he could have gotten away with it. And he did, in fact. For two days, he tried to tell himself it was an innocent mistake. He was tired and overworked, which was all true. Maybe it was even an excuse, but he didn't fully buy it. And eventually, stricken with guilt, he strode into work and came clean to his bosses. He was let go immediately, of course. He guessed the lawsuit was coming for him too, eventually. But all that he kept to himself throughout dinner, just shoveled pie into his face instead. Now, finally, it was time to tell Sarah. He felt the leather of the steering wheel slide under his palms, slick from sweat. He calmed himself by focusing on the road, watching the cracked asphalt fly by beneath the headlights. They were skirting through a chunk of the city that looked post-apocalyptic, empty, disintegrating buildings crowded the blocks with overgrown shrubbery picking at their every crack. The gaping holes and boarded up windows seemed to watch them pass, like narrowed eyes. Those sad, broken homes reminded Roger of how he'd felt before he confessed his sin, like he was rotting away. He still felt it then. He knew what he had to do to make it stop. And that thought, that he could end this inner turmoil right then, filled him with something like courage. So he cleared his throat and told Sarah about the worst thing he'd ever done. And Sarah went rigid. The car was silent, the tense kind of silent. His confession left just hanging there in the air. Then finally, Sarah responded. She said, I wish you hadn't told me that. Before Roger could think of what the hell to say, a piercing death rattle of a scream tore through the night. He slammed on the brakes and the car jerked to a stop. The street was empty the ramshackle houses around them barely visible, as though the world had ended at the gutter. There were no signs of life anywhere, no clues as to where that cry had come from. Did you hear that, Roger asked? Sarah just looked at him. That scream, he said. Someone could be in trouble. It was probably just an animal, Sarah shrugged, with her characteristic confidence, and told him to keep driving. So Roger lifted his foot off the brake and got the car moving advancing just a few feet before it shuddered to a halt again. Because standing there now, directly in the glare of their headlights beyond the steam coming off the hood, was a little girl. She couldn't have been older than seven or eight, curly hair up in a ponytail, some kind of pink sweatsuit, and she was looking straight at them with a curious frown, like she was stumped on a puzzle. The nurse in him switched on as Roger tried to get a read on the girl. Was she all right? Was she hurt? Seconds later, though, the headlights flickered. She was gone. Not gone like ran away gone. Gone like vanished, like she'd never existed at all. Roger was about to get out and look for her when Sarah put a hand on his arm. Drive, she said. Please, drive away now. The tone in her voice made it clear he should listen. Then a sound came from behind them. A soft, gentle knock 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 roger and sarah whipped around to look at the car's back windshield it was dark but standing there backlit by the orange hue of an old street light above hands cupped against the window trying to peer inside was the young girl roger called out to ask if she was okay 
This time he made it as far as unbuckling his belt before Sarah grabbed his arm. This time, her grip wasn't firm. He could feel her hand shaking. Stay put, she begged. Roger obeyed and watched as the small figure dropped her hands to her sides and took a step back. Then another. And another. Until she'd faded into the shadows beyond the red glow of the taillights. Which Roger couldn't abide. A young girl out here, alone. He shook Sarah off and got out of the car, jogged a few feet in the girl's direction but all he found was inky blackness. He called out after her and was again met with nothing but the sound of his car idling. Even he had to admit that the best course of action wasn't to just blindly stumble around out here. So Roger got in and got back to driving. After shifting the car into gear, he reached over to grab Sarah's hand, more for his comfort than hers, but she snatched her arm away. Damn, he thought, she was pissed. He started apologizing for the detour, but Sarah interrupted him. It's not that, she snapped. And then Roger remembered. Oh, right. She just found out her husband was a killer. It was the first time he'd used that word to describe himself. And it stung, understandably. But that's what he was, innocent mistake or not. Silently, he drove on. The minutes passing slowly as it sank in that Sarah might never see him the same way again until finally she spoke, this time in a low, serious voice. She wasn't mad about his mistake at the hospital. She was mad, she said, because he turned himself in. Roger turned to her, confused. He should have pretended like everything was fine, she continued. That's what you do in situations like that. You pretend everything is fine, and you keep pretending. And then one day, it just is. Before Roger could object to her logic, the car jerked to a sudden stop. This time, not because he'd stepped on the brake, no. The car had just stopped. The headlights flickered and the dash blinked a few times before shutting off completely. Roger tried the ignition a few times, but the engine didn't even sputter. They were stranded there, in a patch of darkness between streetlights. And now, as they looked out of the windows, It felt like the night was creeping in on them. The couple sat there in nervous, confused silence until Sarah did what she did best. She made a plan. She'd call a tow truck and Roger should see what the hell happened to their car. He stepped out and found the night air to be noticeably cooler than it had been earlier. More like winter than fall. He shivered and crossed his arms as he walked the car's circumference to inspect it. Everything looked fine. He wasn't much of an engine guy, but he popped the hood anyway. Stood there, puzzling over the whole thing. He couldn't see Sarah over the raised hood, but her murmurs told him she'd reached a tow company. They couldn't come soon enough, he thought. He'd leaned his head back, watching his breath fog up the air. Then, something grabbed his ankle. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. At first, the grip was more like a cold gust against his skin. But then it tightened hard. Roger yelped and staggered back, but the icy now iron hold on his ankle didn't release. He lost balance and toppled onto his back, leaving him staring directly under his car. And it was a wretched sight. The little girl from the road was hanging there, upside down from the car's frame like some kind of rabid contortionist. A wide, toothy smile spread across her face, and one arm extended, her tiny hand still wrapped around Roger's ankle. That was it. The moment Roger realized this girl did not need saving from the night. That in fact, he was the one who needed saving. He went to scream, but the fall had knocked the wind out of him. And Sarah was oblivious to his troubles. All of this being hidden from view by the car's raised hood. Left on his own, Roger started kicking at the kid with his free leg, which only made her hold on tighter. The girl yanked him towards her so hard he thought his ankle was gonna snap. His nails chipped, and the tips of his fingers turned to bloody pulps against the cracked concrete as he tried and failed to stop himself from being dragged under the car. Finally, he felt his lungs fill up with air again, and he was able to let out an almighty scream, a noise unlike any he'd ever made before. It worked. He heard the car door slam and footsteps run towards him. Sarah dropped her phone and instinctively started stomping on the thin, pale wrist that seemed to be improbably pulling her husband, a full-grown man, beneath the car with ease. After a few blows, the hand let go, and Roger staggered to his feet. He looked back, puffing, and what he saw made him shudder. The child, still upside down, but now half emerged from the car, with a tiny finger pointing right at him, as if to say, You. I want you. The couple nearly toppled over one another, trying to run in the other direction. They made it a few strides down the road before Sarah pulled them towards the closest abandoned home on the block. The door was ajar, its hinges stiff and rusted, but they burst through and slammed it shut behind them. Their panting filled the quiet house as they took in their surroundings. It was about what you'd expect. Most of the furniture was gone, and what remained was full of holes or covered in mold. No one had been there for some time. Roger and Sarah crept into the living room. Sarah took up post at the window so she could look out on the street. Is there a tow truck coming, Roger asked her. Then Sarah told him she'd been trying to explain to the woman on the phone where to find them, but Roger had screamed. And when Sarah saw the girl dragging him under the car, she dropped her phone, which was still sitting out there on the road. Hopefully they still come, Roger said, trying to be optimistic like he thought Sarah would be. Hopefully they find us, but that's not the thing to say at the moment. Sarah turned and started laying into him. She told him not to take the long way home. She told him just to ignore the scream. She told him so. She told him so. 
She kept saying it over and over, and maybe she had a point. Maybe she was right. But right then, Roger didn't want to hear it. Already a cocktail of shame and fear was brewing inside of him. Sarah returned her gaze to the street outside and he wandered around the room. He was imagining the people who once lived here, trying to distract himself from the thoughts that were churning inside him. Thoughts about his career, his marriage, and you know, the little girl who clearly wasn't really a little girl. He was still composing himself when he heard Sarah come up behind him. He should apologize, he thought. She'd been right. Sarah was always right. Roger knew that. So he turned around, ready to concede, and fold his wife into his arms. Except when he turned around, it wasn't Sarah. It was nobody, just a deep shadow. Sarah was still sitting by the living room window. Roger must have imagined those steps. That's what he was trying to believe when... A low knock, knock, knock got his attention. It came from that living room window. Sarah was craning her neck, trying to see around the edges of the window. Again, there was nothing, not even a tree branch or a loose shutter. Then it came again, this time from the front entrance. Knock, knock, knock. Sarah jolted upright and grabbed a lamp, muttering something about how enough was enough. She charged through the front door, ready to strike whoever was there. And the front steps were empty. Instantly, it started coming from the living room, from inside the walls themselves this time. Knock, knock, knock. Then it came from the ceiling, from the cabinets and the stairs. Soon it was an unrelenting, ever-growing cacophony surrounding them. Knock, 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 knock. The house shook with the force of it, like it was trying to push them out. And if that was its intention, it sure as hell worked. The couple fled, the knocks echoing in their bones as they spilled out of the booming structure into the silence of the street. From the sidewalk, the house behind them stood still and quiet, as though nothing had happened. It was just them, and a few yards away, their incapacitated car. None of their options at that point were great. Escaping meant walking along the dark road for who knows how long, presumably with the girl in pursuit. There were other houses to shelter in, but no reason to think they'd be any safer than the last, which left the car. Sure, it was dead and out in the open, exposed, but it was also familiar, the closest thing to sanctuary they had at that moment. And since, hopefully, a tow truck might be there soon, maybe they could just wait it out in there. So they took a breath, ran for. Seconds later, they were inside, breathing heavily. Behind them, there was nothing but darkness. And thanks to the hood of the car, which was still propped up, they couldn't see if any headlights, any little beacons of hope, were coming their way in front. Roger was about to get out and close the hood when his body stiffened. The hairs all over his body stood up on their end as a shiver traveled down his spine. That's when Roger told Sarah, as calmly as he could, I think she's in the back seat. He and Sarah turned around, and sure enough, there she was, the girl, sitting quiet as can be, watching them. She cocked her head towards Roger first. Their eyes met, and it was like he was plunged into a pitch-black lake. At first, he couldn't see, but he felt so much. Both the cold and somehow the weight of his entire life 
a torrent of memories rushed at him. Every decision, every mistake, every bit of heartbreak he'd ever experienced smashed into him all at once. He was everywhere and nowhere. He was past and present. And then, suddenly, he was there again, in the car, dizzy and gasping for air, like he'd been held underwater for too long. Roger had no idea what had happened, but once he caught his breath, he noticed that whatever had just happened, whatever the girl had just done to him, she was now doing to Sarah. His wife's eyes were open wide, her mouth ajar in a silent, horrified scream, her body shaking like she was having a seizure. All the while, the girl just sat there, still, focused, staring at Sarah, eyes completely white and brow furrowed as though searching for something. And then swiftly, the girl sat upright. She glared at Sarah, not just with fury, but also with a look of recognition. Her lips curled as Sarah, still trembling, and held in the little girl's gaze, managed to croak out. It wasn't my fault. Suddenly, a very different energy flooded the car. The headlights and dash started flashing again as they rocked from side to side. Roger looked on, his panic turning to confusion, then nausea. He could feel it somehow, what was happening between his wife and the girl, why it was happening. But he had to ask anyway. It was a question so ridiculous he couldn't believe it was leaving his lips. Sarah, do you know this girl? He steadied himself against the dash as the car began to shake more violently. And Sarah, God help her, her eyes still locked on the girl as though in a trance, tears rolling down her cheeks, slowly nodded. And then the car landed with a thud. Still, the girl had disappeared, leaving Roger to sit with his horrible realization about Sarah. And Sarah to sit with her horrible story, which now came pouring out of her. She was just a teenager, Sarah explained. She and some friends were driving home from a party. She wasn't driving, mind you. She was in the passenger seat as they tore through the neighborhood, that very neighborhood, when they came up alongside the girl, a girl riding a bike, alone, late at night. And Sarah thought, who rides a bike at night anyway? That was the last thought anyone had about that girl while she was still alive, like the girl was somehow being irresponsible. Like it was maybe, in some way, the girl's fault when the driver of Sarah's car rounded the next corner too fast and didn't see that bicycle alongside them shoot out from the sidewalk. Sarah remembered the headlights hitting the girl's face, the scream cutting through the night, the bicycle disappearing beneath the car as she shouted, Look out! She remembered the tires screeching, the radio shutting off as though it had registered the collision the silence hanging thick inside the car as it ground to a halt. And she remembered the voice, finally breaking that silence, coming from the back seat. Drive, it said, and they did. Of course she felt guilty, she was human. She told Roger she'd barely slept for weeks after, her dreams haunted by that face in the headlights moments before impact. But they would have been in trouble for drinking. And she was just young and stupid. It was a horrible accident, yes, but it wasn't her fault. She'd just been sitting in the wrong car at the wrong time. Sarah was pleading her case to Roger, begging for absolution, but Roger couldn't give it to her. 
Everyone makes mistakes, sure, but he knew that the hardest thing to do is to own up to them, especially when you might otherwise get away with it. That takes strength. He'd always thought Sarah was strong, but now he saw it, the weakness she had been hiding inside all along. Even if he'd wanted to comfort Sarah in that moment, he didn't have the chance. Just as Sarah finished her tale, they heard it again. Knock, knock, knock. Rapping on the raised hood of the car, which then slammed shut. They turned to the front, expecting to see the girl standing out there glaring at them. But she wasn't. She was right there. Right there, inside the car. Her face right up against Sarah's. Her body clinging to the front windshield. Frozen, Roger watched as the child's hand reached up to gently tap on his wife's forehead three times. Knock, knock, knock. Look out, Sarah screamed, as though they were about to crash into something. Look out. And then the girl screamed, the same long, piercing scream Roger had heard earlier, and her steely arms shot up and wrapped themselves tight around Sarah's neck. The mood at the barbecue wasn't exactly light after my aunt finished her tale. We sat there, trouble beyond all measure, and upset. Upset at Sarah's unforgivable mistake and her justification of it. At the tragic plight and subsequent fury of the little girl. At all of it. My aunt continued, letting us know that Sarah didn't actually die that night. After that moment, the girl vanished again, this time for good. Another car eventually drove by and helped them. But that was the last time Roger ever saw his wife scream. The last time she ever had enough life in her to do so. Roger, by the way, lost his nursing license. Understandably. But he ended up becoming something of a nurse for Sarah in the end. Because after that night, she became a shell of herself. See, Sarah thought that if she could just forget about her sin, then the world around her would too. But it doesn't work like that. Sins don't exist only when we get caught. A sin is a sin. And for refusing to take ownership of hers, Sarah was stuck living in it. In that very moment, day and night, the headlights, the girl's face, the scream, over and over. She was rotting away like those empty houses. And whenever it seemed like Sarah might be forgetting, whenever it seemed like she might be livening up, that's when Roger would see the hand wrapping against her skull, reminding her. Now, I don't know if that little girl is still out there, whether Sarah's fate had satisfied her thirst for revenge, or if she's still searching for the other occupants of the car from that night. But I didn't especially want to find out for myself. So I had my aunt draw me a safe route back to my rental. As I drove there through the dark streets, far away from Knock Knock Road, I couldn't help but think about how feelings like shame and guilt, they always find a way out. They're always lurking somewhere. Maybe on a desolate road, waiting for you to stumble across them again. And when that happens, you can expect to pay what you owe. And I'm telling you, the interest is a bitch. Run Fool is a production of Ballin Studios, Campside Media, and At Will Media. It is hosted and executive produced by me, Rodney Barnes. This episode was written by Kate Murdoch, 
and produced by Abakar Adan. Editing by Matt Hickey. It was sound designed and mixed by Kevin Seaman. Creature vocalization by Terry Casburn and artwork by Jessica Clogston Kiner. Production support by Jeremy Bond and Cole Locasio. Special thanks to Lindsay Kilbride and our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Executive producers at Ballin Studios are Mr. Ballin, Nick Witters, and Zach Levitt. Executive producers at At Will Media are Will Malnati and Rosie Guerin. Executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Share, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Adam Hoff. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.